but I'm just curious if you've ever met the president or the vice president, because obviously, you know, you're at quite high, high up in the hierarchy. <laughs> well, I did. I did not meet them personally. Okay. But I have. I have been in the same room with them, but oh. I have. I did. I did not get a chance to to shake their hand. Uh, right. And just re just recently here in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have different celebrations here. So, yeah. you know, very recently, I, both, both my wife and I, we did receive an invitation uh, to go to the White House uh, for a uh, for an evening event on the South Lawn, but, right. but we had to decline. Welcome to the Meaningful Jobs Podcast Season 2. I'm your host, Adrian, and today I'm extremely honored to welcome Kevin Johnson, um, who is an entrepreneur of a company called um, the Johnson Johnson Leadership Group. Um, and he'll be talking a little bit about um, the meaning of work and how he got to where he is um, in his career. So welcome, Kevin, to the podcast. Hope you're doing well. Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, very good. Thank you. Good, um, good. I thought we'd start us off by maybe, um, you know, asking you a, a little bit about your background first. So I understand that, you know, before you became an entrepreneur, you actually worked a long time um, in, in the government, which is quite unusual for an entrepreneur. Right. So tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, that was the beginning of my journey. So one year out of college, mm -hmm. uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, I started yeah. my federal government career. My, my mother actually encouraged me to do that. Okay. And so, any uh, reason behind that? Say again? Any reason behind that? Yeah, because she, her son needed a job. <laughs> right. Okay. okay. <laughs> and, and nothing else was really working. But working with the federal government does offer a lot of stability. It also offers upward progression. Yeah, uh, and the pay is pretty good, and the benefits are really good. So right. uh, I followed her advice, and I started out as a frontline leader. Uh, after about ten years, I was promoted into a mid-level leadership position, mm. and then about another five to seven years after that, I was promoted into a senior-level position. And uh, before I know it, thirty-four years passed, and then I retired. But it was a wonderful, wonderful journey lots of good mentors mm -hmm. and sponsors and champions to kind of help me along the way. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, um, I guess it's quite typical of parents to ask their kids to maybe get into like finance, law, uh, the federal government. Um, but at what stage did you, you know, begin, you know, thinking about perhaps, you know, I should also do something new rather than just staying in the government? Uh, really, I didn't think about it until, quite frankly, as I was getting closer and closer to retirement. So I would say probably the final five years of my career, because I knew I wanted to do something. Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite sure what it was, but it was my last position as chief of staff right. at, at one of the large organizations where I was working that gave me insight into areas like human resources training, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, facilities and property mm. and a myriad of other areas that I was responsible for. Mm. And it really, really worked out very, very well. Well, the, the chief of staff position is quite a high position. 
you know, within any organization, let alone, you know, the government. Um, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what the position is about? Yeah, so the chief of staff is really responsible for making sure that everything within the organization is working efficiently and mm -hmm. effectively. So mm -hmm. it's not just watching out for the staff, because that's right. really where the term comes from, but everything that kind of helps the engine to stay uh, well lubricated throughout each and every day, every week and every month. So I would make sure that the property was, was taken care of, that yeah. the facilities were conducive for good working environments, making sure that we were hiring the right people into the organization, getting them the tools and the resources and the training that they need to be the best they can be to succeed, mm -hmm. making sure that the boss has everything that he needs and making sure that people really understand how to evaluate uh, people's performance. So be, being responsible for that, making sure everyone had the tools that they needed. So all of the automation, all of the information technology, making sure that that worked. I also would oversee procurement and acquisition. So any of the contractors and vendors that we would hire to deliver products and render services, I would be responsible for overseeing that as well. So it was, it was a pretty uh, well-rounded type position where you had your hands and your eyes in and on just about everything to make right. sure that the organization ran efficiently. So it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. it I, I lasted in that position for about three years. Right, right. You know, um, I think staying in the same company for 34 years is quite unheard of nowadays. You mm -hmm. know, I think a lot of, you know, the, the young generation um, regards staying in the same position for like four or five years to be quite a long time nowadays. Right, right. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, if you've got any secrets to how you maintained um, you know, the, a sense of meaning, you know, working for the government for such a long time. Yeah, well, remember now, it was a different era. So yeah. the mindset in terms of how we approach work was much different. But here's right. what's unique about the federal government. Federal government is our nation's largest employer. Yeah. And if you take a look at the 15 or 16 different departments, and under the umbrella of every department are anywhere between maybe eight to maybe 12 agencies. Right. So you could move around to different agencies and different departments and still be able to maintain your continuity of government service. So right. Right. for example, I started out working with the Department of Defense. Yeah. And after about 10 years, I went over to the Department of Treasury. Right. Right. I stayed with them for 10 years and then I came back home to the Department of Defense. Now I switched agencies, mm. but I'm still with the federal government. So mm. that's that's one of the many benefits that the federal government gives you because you can move around as often as you like, but all of that service is continuous and it counts toward your retirement. Right. So I always tell people, you know, follow your goals, dreams, and aspirations. Um, mm. Do the things that you really like to do in your heart. And I had a chance to do that but all under the umbrella of the federal government. So all of my service counted toward retirement. So I guess, you know, there must have been some variety, you know, in, in the role, in, in the job functions or the roles that you were assigned to in different um, in departments. But would you say, um, you know, at, at any point during these 34 years, um, where there was a point, where there was a time point where you said, you know, perhaps I should venture into like the private world or, you know, what kept you, you know, going? Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's actually a good question. So very mm -hmm. briefly, I did. Yeah. Very briefly, I did make a move into the private space. I worked for two different companies. Okay. And, and for each company, I worked there for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is that I just didn't like it. Right. It was it was a different pace, different goals, different objectives, different mission. My coworkers had a different view. Uh, they saw the world through a different lens. Right. And so eventually, after about close to four years, I, I, I came back to the government and, and I, I, I knew for a fact that I liked the government much better. But would you say it's because of stability? Because when you said, you know, they view the world differently, mm -hmm. that's no, you know, what exactly you mean by that. Yeah. So the bottom line is, and this is what I share with everybody, in the federal government space, our job is to comply with the executive orders that come from the president of the United States. Yeah. Uh, when he signs off on an executive order and it filters down to the government departments and agencies, our mm -hmm. job is to make sure that we comply with that. Safeguard the taxpayer dollar, mm -hmm. make sure that the policies and the guidelines and the rules and all the procedures are adhered to uh, across the board. But in the, in the private space with the private companies, Mm -hmm. It's about generating revenue. Yeah, yeah. To, to keep the CEO gainfully employed. That's why publicly they have to announce their quarterly earnings. Yeah. Uh, you have to keep the shareholders happy. Right. And so the pace is much faster. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, at least in my personal opinion, I saw people had a little bit more anxiety. Right. Um, and there was a little bit more of a push to get things done. Right. So right. I, I wasn't very comfortable because I didn't come from an environment where it's all about generating revenue. Right. It's more about compliance to the executive orders that come out from the president of the United States. So that's the big right. difference. And so I tell people all the time, when you feel uncomfortable in that space, it's okay to make a change. And, and that's what I did. I came back to the government and uh, of course the rest is history because I stayed yeah end up staying for 34 years. This might be a bit unrelated, but I'm just curious if you've ever met the president or the vice president, because obviously, you know, you're at quite high, high up in the hierarchy. <laughs> well, I did, I did not meet them personally. Okay. But I have, I have been in the same room with them, but oh. I have, I didn't, I did not get a chance to, to shake their hand. Uh, right. And just, re just recently here in the United States, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have different celebrations here. So, yeah. you know, very recently, I, both, both my wife and I, we did receive an invitation uh, to go to the White House uh, for a uh, for an evening event on the South Lawn. But, right. but we had to decline. We had to decline. There, there'll be other invitations coming. <laughs> well, I'm sure the president of the United States, would, would they might want to meet you at some point in the future if you keep on if you keep on you know receiving these invitations um, but you know because as you said you know you served um the, the president um and, but you know presidents they change four years or eight years uh, at a time so have you found it difficult to you know comply to every president's um executive orders um you know despite there could be political differences you know well, I tell you, the, the biggest challenge in my career was in my in my career field early mm -hmm. on in the area of contracting, procurement, and acquisition. I was part of a team that was tasked to see if we could 
reform procurement across the federal government. That comes yeah. from an executive order. That's a very, very tall order yeah. because in the United States, the government spends close to $600 billion a year on goods mm -hmm. and services. Mm -hmm. So how can we streamline it and make it better and make it easier? That was a challenge then and right. it remains a challenge now. That has always been the biggest challenge in terms of complying with an executive order for, for me. Right, right, right. I see. So maybe like more like the technical side of orders, I think. Exactly. Um, also, I picked up on, um, you know, point when you said, you know, you were from the Department of Defense originally. You moved to the uh, finance department. Then when you said you moved back, you said, you know, you went back home. <laughs> so, you know, I guess you like the defensive department more. Any any particular reason for that? Well, the defense department is really, really big. Yeah. I mean, really, really big in terms of budget and people. So there's more opportunities. So right, right, since right. I started there right out of college, mm -hmm. uh, I always call it coming back home. But I, <laughs> it wasn't working for the exact same group of people. It was a different area. Right. But because the Department of Defense is so gigantic, there's so many opportunities. So I just took advantage of the opportunities. I see, I see. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after all these years, um, even though you said, you know, the public sector might suit you more, you mm -hmm. still eventually, you know, went into the private sector this time as a CEO. Mm -hmm. So tell us, you know, how it all started and the challenges you had. Well, in, in this role, uh, it's much more expansive because, my company is really deep in the marketplace. We focus on leadership in terms okay. of training, coaching, and mentoring, because we believe that better leaders make the world a much better place. And, and, right. and I found that out when I was working with the government. When I was working for good leaders, the organization did well. When I'm working with bad leaders, the organization didn't do well. It, was, it, it just made common sense. But we, we do work with the government as a contractor, mm -hmm. but we also work with corporations, academic institutions, churches, and nonprofits, because that's where people are. So okay. wherever people are is where we want to be. So we, we work with all of these different men and women at the front line, mid-level, and senior level. So I have a lot of contact with government, federal government, city government, state government, and county government as well. I've worked with them all, and right. that's what really makes it so enjoyable. So um, you started, you know, the Johnson Leadership Group. Mm -hmm. um, I understand you're a, you're like you're an organization consultant involved mm -hmm. mainly uh, leadership. And Correct. Areas. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about like your business? Yeah. So it's all about helping leaders to understand that there's an interdependency on what we know, the mm -hmm. mind, because as a leader, you're expected to show up knowing your stuff. So yeah. being a subject matter expert gives you instant credibility mm -hmm. with everyone that you're working for. So that's mm -hmm. sort of an expectation. But where leaders miss it, not all, but many leaders miss it is what's in the heart. And what's in the heart is respect for people, valuing people, caring for people, mm -hmm. and having some compassion and some empathy Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how we go about treating people. So if we can align what's here in our mind with what's in our heart, that's, that's our focus in terms of leadership, right. because people do want to know that the leader that they follow actually gives a care that they're there. 
that's yeah. just part of human behavior. So that's really what we focus on in terms of how we coach and mentor and train. And I think it makes a big, big difference. The feedback we get uh, says it's making a big difference. I see. I see. So I also understand you grew your company to 10 people already, which is, you know, quite a large team. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about like your journey from, I guess, I assumed you started by yourself and you grew to 10 people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, these are all men and women that I know yeah. and that I trust and yeah. who are credentialed and who are qualified mm -hmm. and are excited about what they do. You have to be excited about yeah. what you do because if it doesn't come across, then no one will hire you. Mm -hmm. And so these are all people that I've already had a relationship with and I know well, and they know me and there's a trust factor. So depending on who we're working with, when I need to place them on any given project or assignment, yeah. uh, I just need to reach out to them to make sure that their calendar will permit that. But it's always good to have a team of people because you never know what opportunity might present itself. And so right. if I can't be available, then I have people on the team who are and I can just reach out to them and find out exactly when they would be available and, and how. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think you mentioned a great point about that, about the fact that you need to be excited mm -hmm. for people to hire you. So how do you find your excitement in um, teaching people to lead and, you know, as a leader yourself? Yeah, I put myself in their shoes. Right. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've observed it. Mm -hmm. I understand it. And I recognize that it's very, very important because I really do firmly believe, and it's part of our culture, that yeah. better leaders help to make the world a better place because they understand that you're not just dealing with a worker, yeah. but you're dealing with people. People mm -hmm. have feelings, they have concerns, they have issues, and a lot of this shows up in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But if a leader can have a conversation with someone and get to know them a little bit better, it'll help them to open up and maybe talk about what some of these things are that concerns them. And that's right. very, very important. So that's, that's why we're so focused on it. And, and the other reason that I'm excited is because I have tried a lot of the principles that we teach and, right. and I see that they work. So right. that's what makes me excited. So um, you, you know, you, you did mention um, that you had a brief spell when you weren't in the government. Do you have any advice for people who are currently perhaps thinking of changing jobs or thinking of which career they should go for? How should they make this judgment? Yeah, I would say, uh, first of all, uh, follow your heart. Okay. If your heart is saying you need to make a change, then follow your heart because your heart definitely knows that's instinctive. But do some research uh, on the different organizations or companies that you're thinking about joining. And when I say research, something as simple as this going to the website, getting to know their mission and vision, take a look at the leadership team, see if maybe you already know someone mm -hmm. or see if somebody in your network might know of someone at mm -hmm. that particular company and ask those questions because you would just want to make sure that you're going to the right place as a result of following your heart uh, mm -hmm. is what I always recommend. And then last but not least, if you get that interview, mm -hmm. remember the interview is more than just them checking you out to see if they want to hire you but you in the interview are determining if this is a place where you want to go and work so right. an, an interview is always a two-way street a lot of people tend to think well it's just me 
before them and they're trying to figure out if they want to hire me, but it should be both. You mm -hmm. should be determining whether you want to go work with them. And mm -hmm. so if you follow those three steps, um, more times than that, you'll end up in the right place. So, you know, you mentioned in your three words, you know, follow your heart, which is, mm -hmm. I guess, a, what a lot of people say. Mm -hmm. I can you know, challenge you a little bit on that. How do you know if what you're following is right or wrong? Or could you actually make a def uh, or could you make a judgment of that? Yeah, generally speaking, um, most people know when it feels right. Mm. And, and, and it's, it's just based on their ability to, to know it. And that's mm. what I mean when I say follow your heart. Right. Uh, there have been many, many instances where something looks really, really good, mm -hmm. but my heart is saying, oh, don't, don't, don't do it. Don't, don't right. do it. And right. then later on down the road, it kind of reveals that that was a good decision. Sorry, can it's, you can you point your finger to how you had this you know feeling? Yeah, there there was something about what the employer was telling me mm. that didn't quite sound right. Like for right. Like, let me give you a recent example without giving any names. Yeah, I was offered a recent opportunity to do some really really good work with a high profile uh, person. And, but their budget, their budget would not allow what I felt would be the proper compensation. Okay. So there's a fine line between wanting to handle the responsibility and then having the visibility to go with it, but all that you have to give up. This would not be a Monday through Friday job. Mm -hmm. Weekends would be involved. Wow. And when you take a look at what their budget was in terms of compensation versus what I know would take to be effective and efficient, as good as it looks, and trust me, it looks really, really good. In my heart, I said, no, nah, no, nah, because it's gonna, it's gonna require a lot in terms of family sacrifice, right. giving up free time, weekends not really being mine, uh, et cetera. And it's just not something that I want to pursue mm. at this time. Mm. If, if things change, I'm open to conversation, but mm. you kind of know in your heart mm. not to pursue it at this particular time. And people generally know that. And if your heart is telling you that, listen, definitely listen. Right. I think, um, you know, spending enough time with the family, obviously the most important thing, but it's also something that a lot of people tend to overlook. So like in your, uh, you know, based on your experience, um, how do you draw a line between work commitments and family commitments? Well, uh, I, I can share with you what I did. So the higher up in an organization you go, yeah. as I was moving from mid-level leader to senior level leader, hmm. uh, I had to be aware of the increase in responsibility Mm -hmm. and visibility as you go higher yeah my sons my three sons were still relatively young right and i'm the type of dad that wanted to be with them for their academic debates and for all of their sports programs right so i can't take off work mm -hmm. at three o'clock or 3 30 mm -hmm. to be with them at these different events right if i'm at a certain level in the organization they're just not going to let that happen 
So I had to make a decision that I'm perfectly content and I'm perfectly satisfied at this level at this time so I can spend time with my with my sons because it's very important for their father to be visible and with them to encourage them and not have them out there all by themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's always a personal choice, mm -hmm. um, but just sort of make sure that we understand that going in. Family should always be the first priority. I know from time to time there's an emergency that takes place and you have to be available on the job. I get it, but it shouldn't be all the time. Right. Right. It seems like your children are following your footsteps to become a leader. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's involved in, you know, debating. Like, is that yeah. passion? And it all, it, every, leadership starts at home. Yeah. 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 My son's taught me a lot about what it takes to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And then it, then it transitions out into the community and into the marketplace. My middle son was on the academic debate team mm -hmm. when he was in middle school. And uh, he has since gone on. Uh, he was an honor student and a graduate, an undergraduate. <laughs> and then recently, he just earned his master's degree uh, oh, back in the right. month of May. So, you know, he's, this is the same one that I was always there with him. Mm -hmm. Then the other two were pretty gifted in athletics. So they were on the athletic field doing some very interesting things as well. But right. I felt, I've just always felt that my job as the father mm -hmm. is to be present. So, you know, lastly, just before we end, um, do you have any particular advice for uh, people who'd like to follow their hearts to maybe venture out into a new adventure, but don't have, um, you know, the money or like the, um, you know, willpower or circumstances to follow through? Yeah, I would say, I would say, first of all, um, it, it always requires us to do a little bit of homework in mm. terms of finding out what's out there in the marketplace that would be a good fit for us. So whether it's online mm. or talking to friends, talking to family or anybody else in the network, there's always people out there that know something that we don't know. So it's worth asking and it's worth doing some research based upon those responses, then start to dwindle down which of these areas you want to pursue. Because you may have 15 options, but I recommend that you narrow those 15 down to five just mm. to be focused. And then again, once you do follow up and you're fortunate enough to get the interview, remember now you're interviewing them at the same time that they're interviewing you. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an opportunity to decide if you actually want to work there or not. Right. Um, and, and I think people need to keep that in mind. I couldn't help but repeat that one because a lot of us don't think of an interview that way. Yeah. We, we, we think that we're on showcase and they're trying to determine if they want to hire us. But no, we're interviewing them. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people at the end of your interview, when the interviewer asks you if you have any questions, mm -hmm. ask a question. <laughs> Absolutely. Ask a question. Yeah. You know, what are you looking for in, in the ideal candidate? Uh, when, when would you be looking for that person to start? Mm. Um, are, are there, are there promotional opportunities, uh, mm. et cetera, but definitely ask, don't, don't end the interview by saying, oh no, I don't have any questions. Mm. Well, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, uh, Kevin. Um, just lastly, before we end, um, just want to remind, um, you know, my listeners to go follow uh, Kevin's uh, company, the Johnson Leadership Group, 
And you can also uh, rate and subscribe to the Meaningful Jobs podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify podcast. So it's been a pleasure having you here. Uh, Likewise. And I hope to see you soon again. Yes, thank you. Keep up the great work. Thank you. See you soon. Okay, bye-bye.